everybody. Welcome to the 32nd episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodhi, joined as always with my best friend, another co-host, Fino Black. Fino, how are you doing today? I was, I mean, you you, you took took what I wanted to say. I was going to ask, how can I become your best friend? But I guess, uh, I guess we got to rename the podcast uh, PNR uh, Cast. <laughs> I'm down. I'm down. <laughs> the Panner Cast. Ooh. The planner cast. Always remember, make I a good planner. Not. Be a good planner. Zero planning on my part. You can do that. Okay. <laughs> and we have a special guest this week, Michael Hamilton, world champion. Michael. So of all the times you've beaten Fino Black, which was your favorite memory of beating him? I think I've only beat him once. <laughs> it's the- I've beat me once. Yeah, we're one oh, and right? we're one. And one? <laughs> yeah, we're oh, one and one. I thought he was yeah. two and oh. Oh, okay, okay. No, no. So then I guess the one time you beat him was your favorite memory when you win ten thousand dollars. <laughs> it was it was seven, but yeah. <laughs> well you throw in the gold cold foil there. That's that adds a, that's a good chunk of change right there. Yeah. I mean I it's certainly don't deserve the tunic after that. <laughs> yeah. Deserving is a nebulous term, you know. But uh the main topic aside from trolling Michael Hamilton this week, is going to be what we all expect uh, the upcoming ProQuest meta to look like. Fino, additionally, is going to go to the Battle Hardened in New Jersey. Uh, Michael and I aren't going to be going to that one. So he's definitely going to have a keener sense for what the competitive meta is going to shake out for. And we brought him on to help us kind of help our listeners understand what they should be expecting uh, when they start showing up and trying to earn their qualifications for the Pro Tour. So I guess uh, with that being said, we'll get into Michael. What do you think the ProQuest meta is going to look like, though? So I guess ProQuests are always pretty reasonably diverse. It's not to the point where people are traveling super far for them. A lot of people just play whatever decks they've been working on, whatever decks they enjoy playing. So like a decent amount of the field will be like, I don't want to say random stuff, but like pretty close to what you're seeing on Talishar, just like a bunch of random heroes that people want to be playing. And then I think there will be people, like there's always people that graduate to- or graduate that gravitate towards the best decks, like Fi, Icelander. Dash you could say graduate. Think, like if you go from Dory to playing Icelander, you could say you do- graduated to a tier one deck, right? Has he graduated to uh, saying respite yet? <laughs> I don't know. Nope. You'd have to ask him. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair assessment, though. I, I would agree with that, that it's going to be a pretty diverse overall. But I guess the top eight metas are, are probably going to be a little bit more consolidated. Uh, probably see them like Azaleas and um, Boltons and like the fringe heroes showing up here and there in the top eights. But I, I would definitely agree that's going to be consolidated around, I guess, like what we're labeling these tier one heroes. But I guess, you know, what do you consider to be like a tier one hero, though? Well, kind of going off of your point of like the more broader meta and uh, the these tournaments, uh, observation that I've kind of had over the past year, because we, we got into the game about the same time, I think, like Monarch-ish era. We both started with the, the Blitz decks, basically. Um, yeah. Did yeah, you guys play like that? Maybe a month before Tales of Aria. So you guys didn't play that road season? No, we didn't. We, we I think we we missed out by one week of like the last road to nationals we're like oh we could have gone to a road to nationals last week oh well i guess we got to go win orlando or or whatever (laughs) michael said at the time um (laughs) so i started like just slightly before you and kind of what i've seen was like at the beginning our meta was very similar to that people just playing bullshit decks essentially of just like people playing what they wanted to play and like that was very clearly like a one deck meta chain um and people still didn't play it like you would think like maybe half the room would be chain based off of the power level of it. And it'd be like a fourth or less of the room. People just played what they wanted to play. And I feel like at least for my area and I, I go to like all the ones within like one to two hours of me. Um, it's been slowly moving more towards people playing less pet decks. I don't know if that's just because people are getting better at the game. There's more information or whatever it is. It's, it's gone way down of the m- amount of people just playing what they want to play other than me. As far as what I think I'll see, I don't know. I typically expect people to just gravitate towards the aggro decks at the local level. Local level, um, just you know, unga bunga. Let's let's throw numbers at my opponent. Um, people are you know intimidated by the the harder to play decks, even though you know 
might not be too hard throwing a wounding bullet at someone. Like just just do it. Just 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 two card eight them. Just do it. Um, easy, easy peasy. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think that a good starting place of like what to play and what to plan for is the aggro decks, though. Like dash and five, for example. That's interesting because I kind of take the opposite approach when looking for a deck for like a pro quest season because I think while they're not like the most represented, most of the time aggro matchups, there's not really a lot you can do to like hedge and plan for them, but you can most definitely make sure you have a good plan and hedge just for decks like Oldheim and Icelander. And I feel like the equity you get for planning on how to beat like the longer games um, kind of is higher in returns than what you kind of plan for, for, I guess, just like you said, throwing numbers at each other. So I don't let, know. Let me preface um, it. How you feel about early meta, those two approaches. Early meta. Like week one meta. Because like it can be really hard to pinpoint what you want to target when you're playing a more controlly style of deck, for instance. Uh, it's like the magic, like the week one meta, play mono red aggro type of approach. Um, I don't think that's where the meta is going to end. I don't think that's necessarily the best thing you could be doing right now. But it's a good starting point of like, if you're watching this and you don't know what to play, maybe that's a good place to to look at. Because uh, I'm assuming if you're if you're at that point where like I literally don't know what to play, and I'm going to watch a podcast and hope the, the these guys tell me what what's good. Well, maybe that person might get more equity out of just just unga bunga their opponent, um, versus mm-hmm. someone someone that's going to get more equity out of the meticulous planning of their deck and matchups. They probably don't need podcast man to tell them what to play. I don't know, Michael. What what, what podcast? people do you look to to uh, learn how to play in your local pro quest season why mostly well i do listen to a lot of podcasts but i think like you're also just getting in a bunch of reps with the hero that you're playing to play for pro quest at least i am so oh what hero would that be or is that under wraps right now <laughs> i'm i'm probably just playing more icelander at pro quest but that's we'll fair. see we'll see I look forward to seeing you in an Icelander finals mirror in our era pro quest, buddy. It'll be, a, it'll be a good old time. It'll be more entertaining than the last pro quest finals we were in with the uh, chain versus prism. That was, uh, that was, a cool that was quite match. the time. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, 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 I gave you living this. legend points for prism out of that one though, Fino. So you son of a bitch. Yeah. It's all my fault that we have a subpar illusionist at the moment. I worked very hard to not get those living legend points. <laughs> You sacrificed a lot to get her through a season, that's for sure. I've literally never won a tournament. I don't have a single living legend point. <laughs> if Michael was a, le- a hero himself, he would be close to living legend at this point, so. Yeah, when are you getting banned? Hopefully never. <laughs> what is, uh, living lad- when is living legend status points will uh, start accumulating in... Uh, <laughs> They'll probably get updated along along the same time Elo is going to be updated a lot. So you know, <laughs> same time. <laughs> okay, but what if what if that just means you get added to the Hall of Fame? Yeah, has James White contacted you about what your bust is going to look like in the Flesh and Blood Hall of Fame, Michael? Ooh, but my we, what? Your bust. We're gonna get a, a Weta statue of uh, Hamilton. Yeah, he's gonna be busty in the in the. Flesh and Blood Hall of Fame. I got my new hero. <laughs> so going back to ProQuests. <laughs> I, I do agree with what you were saying, Vito, about I think it makes sense to kind of... Uh, if you if you don't know what to play in ProQuest, and I think a lot of people will be in a spot where they've been spending much time working on fun heroes and, having, and playing heroes that maybe didn't quite get there or feel close. And if you're looking for your best chance to win a pro quest and you're at that point where pro quests are starting in a week and a half or so and you've been playing an off meta deck it might be time to switch to an aggro deck and get some reps in before pro quest because all, all three i think Fi, briar and dash i think are all solid choices i think briar is the weakest into icelander but i assuming i think it's a reasonable bet to make that there won't be a ton of icelander because most people that are switching late are probably going to be switching to aggro decks. So just kind of looking at those Well, not three only that. Your choices. 
there's Go just ahead. usually a preference among the player base to lean towards aggro, whether or not, because there's an argument that Icelander was the best deck for worlds or that calling, but it was not the most played deck by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, so players just have a tendency to just gravitate towards the more proactive decks. So I think even if it was known <clears throat> that a, a deck like Icelander or Old Time was just the thing to be doing, it will never be the majority of a like a pro quest or even a calling metagame or anything like that. So it's usually just not where the player base usually winds up being, I guess. Yeah, like I grossly underestimated uh, the tendency for people to slant aggro at nationals. I was like, it's clear that ice decks are the deck to play and beat. So I'm going to put my two weeks of practice into Dromai. And then it was just all thigh. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, sure, you can Yeah, I did a very similar thing decks. for the second Pro Tour in Lil, where basically I was like, oh, everybody knows Old Time's the best deck. So Old Time's going to be clearly the most played deck at Pro Tour 2. So I should definitely be on Prism. So this way I have a buy into Old Time. And then I go there and I face nothing but Briar and Fi. And the most of the people are on Briar in that meta. And I'm like, oh, well. What can you do? <laughs> I was going to say, I think at Nationals, it kind of stands out to me more, where it seemed like more like obvious how strong Oldheim was and how how well he had done in the, the rest of the National season and just like the fact that he had very good matchups into the other, the aggro decks and he was okay into Icelander and there wasn't really, and there wasn't really anything that was really beating him like there was nothing that's like this counters old time and he just like had some very good matchups and a lot of media matchups in that format and like maybe Dromai was like a rougher matchup but it's very hard to play it from the Dromai side and a lot of the times the Dromais would make mistakes that resulted in old time winning anyway despite that matchup being probably pretty reasonably Dromai favorite if the Dromai plays perfectly yeah all, all the thinking's happening on the other side it's so annoying so you played Dromai that weekend, though. So I guess if we look to a deck like Dromai, what do you think is like holding her back from like being like that tier one deck or like being like super viable for this upcoming ProQuest season? Honestly, Fi. Like, I think if Fi didn't exist, she probably would be best deck in format. Like, I, th I think like with the game slanting towards... With, yeah, it's the only deck that does above rate things. Like, you know, you got Viscerai that theoretically can do above rate things with Mordred Tide and like have a crazy round, but then it's so hard to do that. Nothing else right now, like, is able to consistently do unfair things or above rate things. The game has devolved into um, how can I get 14 out of my hand? Like, oh, if I'm not doing 14 around my deck, just I shouldn't even be playing it. And every single dragon in the deck, pretty much, is above rate. You're usually trading up one card on every single dragon, assuming they don't get popped. You know, obviously they get popped sometimes. But, like, if I pitch and play a dragon and assume that I'm exactly perfect pitching for that dragon, I don't have floating resources, I swing with it and then it gets attacked and I do not table it. I'm trading up one card every time. One full card. And... Nothing else really does that right now. But then you have such a cursed matchup in Defy that it's like, well, if everyone's just going to be a monkey and play the Ungabunga aggro deck, why would I bring this deck? Even though I'm positive into pretty much every other matchup in the game. Even the Runeblades, like it's good into Runeblade, which is the crazy part. I think part of that bad matchup in Defy is also like even more so because on top of Fi just having these significantly above rate turns, Mask Momentum, when... He can just set a chain like three out of dragons really bad. And then also, Fi is one of the few decks in the format that has access to one power attacks. So normally when you play these Ash Wings, you expect them to either stick around or they're going to spend more than one point of damage clearing them a lot of the time. Against Fi, that's not the case because Phoenix Flames just kill your Ash Wings. Yeah, and then there's even like the weird stuff that comes up that gives Fi weird equity in the matchup where mm -hmm. the unpreventable damage from Tigerish type Shuko matters when killing things like Yurindai and things like that. So. Or there's a lot of two toughness dragons, so sometimes if you're attacking with like a two power Phoenix Flame, if it's getting botched from Shugo or something like that, then you're not even losing a lot of value there either. So there's just a lot of room for Phi to ensure that 
the equity on his attacks is always exactly matching like the health of the dragons you're really like over spewing like damage there and on top of just like you guys are saying just the on hits always getting the value out of like hitting the dragons anyways i think the only way it could be better is if Phi was happy to play like other poppers like if they were like good like and that's the other thing they will sometimes just play poppers yeah but it's usually only like command and conquer right like they'll just like throw command and conquers in the deck sometimes it's still like sometimes you're like this is a real game but this is close and then they just like randomly sideboard in a command and conquer and they get you and now you completely fall behind like this was close and you popped one thing and the game ended it like they have a way to play into all of your major game plans like they can clean up the dragons easily they can clean up the ash wings easily they can play poppers if they choose to sideboard for you which they may just decide i don't want to lose to dromai i'm dedicating poppers to you i just don't feel like losing to you today and people will do that like especially on a local level people will do that when if they know someone's doing that like i ran into that all the time on prism just there's a group of guys that walked up to me at a, a rtn and they just went i'm not losing to prism today I brought extra poppers and then I didn't even face them and they all lost to the chains. <laughs> it's hard to put chain cards, that's for <laughs> I was sure. Like, okay. But yeah, I, I think that's just a common deck building mistake that a lot of people make. I, I guess the mistake's strong, but like people are, I don't really know what to do with these last two to three slots. I don't know, throw in some poppers, like whatever. It's easy. Just throw in some six cost cards, boom, we got, we got some poppers and easy. Deck built. It's perfect. <laughs> I don't know. It, but like you take that out of the equation, what's what's keeping uh, Dromai back or down? It's not the other big decks. Like I personally think. What about Boomer Bravo? Like, is that matchup pretty difficult though? It's difficult, but it's not like they're favored. It's just it's an annoying matchup because you can't like. It's really hard getting consistent equity out of the matchup because sometimes they can just run you over. Like, if they just... They just have infinite poppers. Well, you just play it like you would old time. Sure, yeah, yeah. And the matchup has gotten better with with the new Ash. Um, like, the Ash for Vincerakai is very good. Um, but they can just, like, keep drawing these heater hands and never let you play the game. Like, if they just run hot all game, like, what are you going to do about that? And that and that's just Bravo being Bravo, like Bravo drawing in such a way where he says we're not going to second cycle. Yeah. All For right, sure. I guess I'll die. So then, I guess what hero are you looking to play in this upcoming ProQuest season? Then, if like we're all expecting a Fi to be the most prevalent deck, are you just looking to play like a deck that beats up on Fi, like Ultim or Icelander or Bravo? Uh, probably. I I, I got to feel out what people are actually playing locally a bit, because. Um, we we have a pretty diverse meta in our area uh, of what people will play. Uh, I'm expecting a lot of people to just go with their old standbys of Fi and Ultim locally. I don't think... I think I'm literally the only person that plays Icelander in the area other than one other person. Uh, so, like, maybe I go back to her. Um, I, gotta, I gotta see what people are playing. I'm probably gonna start off with uh, Dash myself just because I... I'm just going to try to monkey my way through the first uh, weekend. I don't like any of the decks right now. None of them speak to me. Uh, like, losing Prism was a big deal to me, not just because like, I was good at Prism. Like, she was the only deck in the game that really spoke to me, and I I had fun playing that deck, and I don't have fun playing any of the current decks, so like that's like a big issue for me. I'm just going through the motions. You yeah, know? I definitely get that. My problem is that Prism was like my favorite deck and the setup of the Auras was really good and no other hero in the game like functions that way. And then so my other favorite hero, unfortunately, is the other light hero though in Bolton. I guess I just love light cards and soul. But uh, despite me hoping for uh, Spirit of Arenia to put him up into tier one, testing has made it seem like... He's just not consistent enough to really be there yet. And the games where you have Spirit in play versus the games you don't have Spirit in play are just so wildly like different. But it's a one-of in your deck. So it's just really hard to like justify playing a deck that like is that inconsistent. You can tutor it, Yeah, right? you can Beacon of Immortality uh, for it. But usually that's just such like a losing proposition because you're just spending one of like your best cards that's usually mm -hmm. tutoring for Illumina 
it's just like what play are you really making where it's like well i could either like get a luminous engine and push a bunch of damage you gain a bunch of life or i could wait and hope i draw luminous on future turns in order to do nothing this turn because it doesn't have go again you just literally just put the stupid item in play <laughs> and you have to have charged already in order to perform. reasonable yeah and a lot of the yeah, a lot of the value with spirit is that you can charge a card and just put or charge it and put it directly into play. So like in order to play beacon, you have to have already charged. So if you beacon and you tutor for spirit, you're probably not playing a second charge card because almost every turn you charge one card unless it's unless it's a via the vanguard turn. And then sometimes you charge two t- cards, but yeah, it's still the first. Thing there's no like. Turn. Let me pause on my via the vanguard to tutor for a card. and I want to charge this card, too. Unfortunately, I, I wish you could, but. But I guess jumping back a second, though, we were all really high on Dash, and I think Michael and I especially have been high on Dash in this theoretical sense, but we have spent embarrassingly little time actually like playing, developing, or like focusing on Dash. Have you spent a lot of time there, or do you have uh, some good insights that maybe we're lacking there? Not really. It just seems good. It just, you know, if the game has devolved into how can I monkey most numbers out of my hand? Ooh, 14 is the what I want to be doing. Well, Dash is one of the best decks at just numbers on cards. Uh, she's like the original numbers on cards deck. And uh, she's good into the other aggro decks. Um, you, you were saying that you thought the matchup was uh, one of the worst for uh, Icelander. You're like debating on that and uh, Dromai. And it's it's irrelevant which one's actually the worst matchup between the two. The, fa- the fact that you're debating on it just kind of speaks to the power level of the deck. Um, and, and the the flexibility in game plan is really nice. And there's a lot of value that you get just out of your opponent having to hedge how they side for you. Because, like, you could just boost them into Oblivion and they have to be ready to block that out. But if you just go items instead, well, now all their D-Reacts don't do anything. So maybe they don't bring those in. And it, it becomes a whole mind game of how you're going to sideboard. And you do also get to the thing of, like, the high synergy plays that a lot of decks aren't having right now, where you do have these crazy above rate turns. Like I just had a 25, 30 damage turn out of nowhere. Oops. Yeah, absolutely. And I've gotten blown out because old time was initially high on my like list of like heroes to also start testing for the season because you get a lot of the more controlling aspects of Icelander, but normally his biggest issue into like uh, deck like dash was the item setup and he just couldn't beat actually like the pistol pew pew every turn and trying to go for like um smashing good time that as like a cyborg tech card in order to just blow up a, an item or two over the course of the game and after like the first smashing good time my opponent just pivoted into just boost dash and just started just like racing me and my deck wasn't super like i i guess i i i was too late to then pivoting to their pivot and i just died because i had like these two blocks and like i didn't have the more defensive cards that i would normally have against the more aggressive decks because i was prepared to play this really long grindy game and it's just like one of those weird things where you have to kind of be prepared for them in both of their game states and it's just kind of frustrating do you have any thoughts about that michael I was just going to say, I feel like the dash matchup for old time has never been as bad as it kind of like comes across because like the aggressive old time decks are usually okay into pistol dash. It's not like, like it's definitely a bad matchup, but like, I think it's not as bad as I guess it's kind of let on to be or said to be. And then when dash tries to boost even if you're not on a very defensive deck you still have like a lot of three blocks and you can prevent a reasonable amount of damage with your equipment with tunic crown and having uh iron ro- or not yeah fist maybe it was just my build then too because i just felt like i just had like a million two blocks but I was also trying to hedge really hard into ice, and when you do that, there's only so many ice three blocks. So when you just have like twenty plus ice cards in your deck, it just takes away from how many like three blocks you can then also have in your deck at the same time. Yeah, I think that's like a, a big skill in dash, like catching your opponent with their pants down sometimes on a pivot. Um, that was like an interesting mind game that happened when I was playing Dromai 
uh, against Dash. Um, someone caught almost got me with pants down uh, at Nationals that way, where he started um, as like boost Dash and then pivoted into item tr- to try to grind me out. And I don't know, for, for whatever reason, I just smelled that coming a number of rounds before that. I don't know why he like didn't do anything that made me smell like think that was going to happen. But I was just like waiting for that to happen. And then he did it. And I was like, aha, I was ready for Spidey this. Spidey senses. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so how good has uh, Pulse Wave been? <laughs> it just I was, I was ready for it somehow. Uh, have you played a lot or against Pulse Wave Harpoon? Because from the limited experience I've seen, it mostly seems like a card that just punishes aggro decks more so than like the more controlling decks and i guess that makes sense because it's a boost card naturally so you want to be doing it when you're boosting a lot on a chain and you're normally not doing that in control decks but just even when like you are boosting into decks that are more reasonably happy to block it just doesn't seem like it's able to get as much value but i don't know what your take is on it i mean thought seize is a good card um I think it's interesting how the way that a card like Thoughtseize functions in this game, where like, you know, you're seeing a fresh hand every round, but uh, kind of to a point you guys have been on for the past couple episodes of like the the way you deck build is in such a way where your pitch cost curve structure is built to work in a certain way. So and then that also plays into how you block where like if, you know, I draw my hand and I'm like, okay, I've got a. a card I want to block with, a card I want to arsenal, a blue and a wounding bull, you know, I'm going to block with this and then just do my thing. And then they play a card like that and then they take your wounding bull. You're like, oh, well, now what? I have these two blues that I didn't really want to do anything with one of them. And now I'm kind of priced into playing this hand differently, but I already blocked earlier. So it can like mess up how you're planning on playing out your rounds when you're trying to block with like one to two cards around. Um, it obviously punishes you when you're trying to say no blocks also, but, you know, typically you're winning those matches anyways. If your opponent says no blocks, yeah. you're boosted dash. Good luck. Pew, pew, pew. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that sentiment. So it's just, uh, how prevalent do you think dash would be, I guess, in the local meta? We're saying like, it's one of these tier three, like, or tier one, sorry, aggro decks, I guess like proportional to like fi and briar like do you expect like just i think we're all on the same page that we still just all expect way more fi than dash though or do you think like they'd be kind of like similarly represented i guess michael go first oh okay yeah i i think it's five is gonna be the most popular and then dash dash versus briar is kind of it's kind of a toss-up and it'll probably depend a lot on like what your local scene is right is like briar has a better track record but dash got the new the new pulse wave harpoon in dynasty and i think the the zero for three pump spell that can flip over an item is probably yeah it's just a high variance card but yeah it's just it's just good still Um, yeah so so dash got new toys (laughs) i think a lot of it's gonna again we're talking about on a local level not at a like people are traveling to majors level Uh, I think a lot of it's going to come down to how many people in your area have gotten into the game in the past six months versus people that have been playing for a while and have been waiting for their time to finally take their dash deck back out. And because there's a lot of people like that that have been waiting for dash to come back into the meta. Um, But if your area is mostly people that have started in uh, Uprising, a lot of them are just going to, uh, I play aggro. What was the current best aggro deck? Fi. Okay, I'm going to go pick up Fi. What's the current meta? Oh, it's still Fi is good. I'm going to keep playing Fi. They're not going to get rid of their deck to go pick up Dash, probably. They're just going to keep playing the deck that they were already playing. Or you have people like me that are just like, I just need to find anything to play because I don't have a deck <laughs> that to call home right now. Fair enough. Um, I guess if we go up at a higher level, though. So, you know, you're also preparing for, like, the battle harden. And are you coming to the calling in Indianapolis uh, in February? Are you planning on that? Are we hosting you? Uh, I don't know. Are we going to have a rematch in the finals again? That would be cool. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> I mean, the, the real question is where are we going for food? Can, can we get food? Oh, I, I know all the best spots. I know all the best spots. Michael all doesn't. Right. He, I, I he's just going to take you to Chipotle, he, he, but I'll take, you, I'll take you to nice restaurants. <laughs> It's good. Uh, <laughs> I went to Waffle House last time I was there. I was so sad. 
<laughs> Michael and I have eaten at many Waffle Houses, unfortunately. <laughs> he almost killed me coming out of a Waffle House one time. Fun fact. He was he, I, one of the few times I was like, Michael, you drive. And we pulled out of a Waffle House and he was like right into a semi truck. And uh, he swerved out of the way. We're okay. And we got to the, the tournament on time. But I'll, I'll never forget that because my life flashed before my eyes leaving a Waffle House. That intersection's ingrained I almost, in my memory. I almost died uh, in uh, in Europe when I was there for Lil. I uh, so I got there a week early to go to Pokemon Worlds in London, and uh, I got off the airplane. And one of my buddies was also on the plane, so I was like, "Oh, how are you getting from point A to point B?" And he told me that he got a rental car, and I didn't really think much of it. Uh, you know, their roads are on the opposite side and he had never driven there before. So that was chaos w- watching him try to, he also has no sense of direction. So, uh, we, Dangerous he missed like every exit. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was scary and terrible. And I was very close to just being like, I'll walk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think I've driven every no, most I've, I've let Michael drive a handful of times when I'm really tired, but outside of that, I usually do the driving now. But I guess moving all the way back to the original point I was trying to make, how much do we think like the ProQuest uh, information, deck lists and stuff like that are going to come out and like feed into or inform decisions for like callings or battle hardens or like the competitive season at large? I guess the biggest thing is when you see decks doing well, like if a deck that you aren't expecting to do well is doing really well, or even a deck that you like think will do fine. Like if Dash is crushing the ProQuest or Briar or Icelander or Time, whatever, whatever deck has like good representation at ProQuests, you definitely want to do a lot of testing into that deck with whatever you're planning to play at these bigger tournaments and make sure that your matchup into that deck is solid. Because I think like kind of, Traditionally, if like a deck does well in a season, it gets picked up a lot more for the next events. So if you don't have a good plan into that deck, then it might be time to look at playing something else or being one of the people that moves to that deck. Fair enough. How about you, Fino? What do you think? You have no, you have that, Michael? Or that's uh, that's okay. Go ahead. No, okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> um. I mean, yeah, people are probably just going to play what's good. Uh, the other thing that I found a lot is uh, people are going to p- gravitate towards what they hear podcast people talk about. Like, I felt like the meta shifted after uh, Arsenal Pass talked about the meta in their, like, one of their episodes leading up until the uh, Pro Tour 1. Um, basically, the entire room was what they said in that episode. And it didn't feel like the general consensus online was necessarily on the same page as what they talked about prior to that. But then they said what they said on that episode. And it seemed like everyone was just like, yep, that's the meta. And then you get there and people were that obviously, you know, they were on Kano, but that's like, not my point. It just like the general online discourse about the meta just didn't seem like it was the same narrative. And then it shifted. And I don't know. I've noticed quite a bit of that in this game of just like, the narrative of like day one meta is largely uh what people are talking about uh, uh, online for like major podcasts and stuff um so like i make a point of listening to all that stuff because that's been very helpful of navigating day ones um yeah thankfully not too many people listen to this podcast yet so we probably won't have too big of an impact on it but i guess we'll see over time <laughs> i was just think it's interesting that um I feel like we're kind of talking out of both sides of our mouths here a, a little bit, though, because we're saying on one hand, well, at ProQuest, the locals are just going to play whatever locals are going to play. It's going to be overrepresented in aggro, and like the meta is just going to be all over the place. And then we're saying, well, but that meta is then also going to then define what's going to happen at uh like the battle hardens and, and callings and stuff like that. So if the meta is just nebulous, whatever at the pro quests and people look to those results and they're like oh like lexi won three pro quests this season i think she's tier one now um but like it just so happened that the three like michael hamilton showed up with lexi for his pro quest for some reason and he was just the best player in the room and won with lexi like the meme right now i posted on twitter today was michael could probably have won worlds with a ham sandwich and a ham sandwich wins a, a pro quest like 
does that mean a ham sandwich is tier one or is it just like the players driving the results as opposed to the decks i guess <laughs> i i think there's a big difference between uh re- representation of what people are bringing versus representation of what's doing well at these people are going to play what they're going to play whether or not that converts is another thing that's fair that's fair that's a good point what do you think about that michael though yeah i, I agree with you know i think like the decks that you expect to show up are different from the decks you expect to win the tournament. I think most of the decks that win the tournaments will be like the the tier one decks, but I don't think, I guess, I don't think the decks that are less likely to do well in a tournament are, I think they're still going to have a pretty good representation because I think people will play what they want to play and those people will be a smaller percentage of like the top eight and stuff probably of ProQuest. Okay, so the cream will rise to the top, is what you both are saying. So, okay, I, I can definitely I, uh, agree with that to a point, though. Um, I guess are there like any heroes that we think that like might be like a dark horse that like people aren't really talking about, but like have been like there's a lot of potential there. Like, um, like I, I know we were both, or I guess I keep saying we because it's our podcast, but I was really high in a bunch of heroes like Azalea and Reinar and stuff like that as like hopefully getting like a lot of boost from Dynasty. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but sometimes just even just a couple percentage points difference and like metas can allow different heroes to rise up. So I guess like, are there any heroes that you think that could potentially like sneak in and just become like an unexpected tier one deck? Fino, we'll start with you this time. Um, I, I actually think that you already... Uh, mentioned it lexi i think lexi uh inadvertently got better from the meta shift of dynasty um i think that dash getting significantly better is going to lead to pushing old him out of the meta like like you said it, it may not be as bad as the matchup it, it the narrative of that matchup is like everyone thinks it's like completely lopsided it's not prison you can still win as old him but if a lot of people play Dash, you're not happy about bringing old him into that room. You're not like going, oh boy, guess I'm getting boosted. Um, and that that was a deck that really pushes Lexi out of the game. And if people are going to gravitate towards aggro decks, well, if old him isn't the pick as an ice deck to stop that, what other ice deck is there? And she preys on a lot of these top decks right now. Um so I think Lexi inadvertently was a big winner from the meta shift of the set. Um, I don't know if any of the new cards are necessarily good for her. I imagine a few of them are. I'm not even thinking about that. It's just like, oh, no old him. Let's let's dust this deck off. That's fair. Do you have any uh, thoughts about Lexi, Michael? I I think Lexi... I know you, you've always been a big Lexi fan. Lexi has shown that she has... She can be pretty powerful into like a really like polarized meta where like everyone's playing aggro decks and you can just bring Lexi and expect to do really well against the field. Even like during the lightning briar, we saw Lexi do the lightning briar era. We saw Lexi do pretty well at some events then. And I think she, well, what was Easton Douglas brought Lexi to Leal and went undefeated in day one with Lexi preying on the aggro decks. And then day two ran into some worse matchups, some old times and stuff. And, had some trouble but i think like lexi is kind of underexplored uh, i played him on stream kind of underexplored she got some new cards and the new cards are pretty powerful both drill seeker and or drill shot and heat seeker are both pretty powerful cards and get new cards plus a, a metagame that looks pretty good for her i think is a good reason to bring lexi i would be a little more worried about bringing her to ProQuest than like a bigger event because, like I said, the ProQuest scenes have, like, more spread out fields. You expect, like, to see a bunch of different random stuff. Whereas if you bring her to, like, a bigger tournament, if you get through the first few rounds, you're going to expect to see more of the top decks. That's fair. I would say, of those two cards you mentioned, Drill Shot, I think, helps her more in, like, the longer decks or decks that we're looking to fatigue her more. Just because you're forcing out that equipment, um, even without the aim counter, just the threat of on-hits making their blocking equipment just worse um, is something that obviously a deck like Oldheim or the Guardians or decks that are looking to block with their equipment in key times, having that option and um, agency stripped away from them, I think is like actually like 
very powerful in those matchups. And then obviously Heatseeker is just very punishing and very good into the decks that aren't looking to block at all because it's just drawing you that extra card that you get to put into your arsenal at the end of the turn. And so she kind of got help in both like the decks where she was already, you know, winning a little bit and the aggro decks in the ice builds, as well as starting to hedge up some of her worst matchups and like, uh, like you were saying, you know, like old times. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where exactly she lines up. And I, I would agree that she definitely has a lot of potential. Um, I think the other ranger, Azalea, is still a little bit disappointing, unfortunately. Uh, I was hoping that she'd be able to do some cool stuff with like the glass bow and being able to like utilize the new arrows with the aim counters a little bit more effectively. But I think she's equally as punishing as Lexi into the aggro decks, actually, with like cards like Red and Ledger or um, what's the one that makes them lose life when, they, when it hits that other arrow? Remorseless. Remorseless? Yeah, thank you. Uh, so just not letting the decks want, who want to play multiple actions be able to play those actions or get heavily punished for playing those actions. But I think she still just really struggles into decks that are um, happy to block or have a lot of defense reactions in them. Might just be like support for the next set. Because like I think she just needs maybe more of the aim counter stuff. Like that wasn't <laughs> enough. Maybe maybe we get a uh, mech ranger in the next set. <laughs> I'm still pulling for ranger assassin. I want them to keep fusing classes together. I think that's a really interesting design space, but we'll have to see about that I, one. What I really want them to do with that is uh, give them a one-handed crossbow so they can go uh, one-handed bow in one hand, dagger in the other, um, and then the crossbow could do something weird like it in itself could attack. It's a crossbow. Uh, but then you can also use it to load arrows at an inefficient rate comparatively. Um, sure. And then yeah. like maybe the crossbow lets you do things like loading traps or something. Like make traps <sighs> a viable card. It's... I, I was actually thinking about traps uh, the, the other day. I was like, because uh, we, we've been having this whole discussion about attack reactions. And I was like, I wonder if there was like, could be like a trap attack reaction that could really push it. Like if it's a zero for four trap card, then you could be like, aha, you've activated my trap attack reaction. It's a zero for four that can only be played from Arsenal. But I don't think that card would be playable for the same reason that all traps aren't playable because they can only be played from Arsenal. So you could just make it like it loads a trap into Arsenal with a counter on it, and then whenever you use a defense re reaction with a counter on it, it deals one damage. So now your traps deal one. Eh, I guess we'll have to see. How do you feel about trap cards, though, Michael? Do you do you want to have your opponents activate your trap cards? <laughs> uh, I I don't know. I think uh, someone needs to do an alter art of him as a Yu-Gi-Oh character. Oh, he's already Yu-Gi-Oh! in my mind. Like, <laughs> in my, I live in a fantasy world because I'm secretly a big Yu-Gi-Oh! fan, at least like OG Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, uh, motorcycles, I could take early. Are you calling him short? Uh, he's a little, he's not too short, but he's <laughs> he's not the tallest guy in any room, that's for sure. He just needs to work on the hair. Maybe we got to get do up his hair a little bit more. Uh, but in this in this fan fiction in my mind, uh, I'm very clearly Joey Wheeler. <laughs> Uh, and Tarek Setokaiba. So I hope he starts his own uh, duelist company <laughs> and makes holograms come to life real day. So that's your that, that's my personal hope for Tarek. Would Matt life. Rogers be? Wouldn't that be Matt Rogers? He was the OG uh, player in the game that also has the the company. Or would that make him more of like a Weevil Underwood, where he was the regional champion before people got into playing the game? But I don't want I don't want to call Matt Rogers Weevil Underwood. Ooh. That's almost an insult. Ooh. So back, maybe he could at least be Rex Raptor and have dinosaurs. <laughs> that's, that's a little bit cooler. So back to heroes. Back to heroes. <laughs> there are two heroes that I'm curious about your all thoughts on, both of your thoughts. And it's the the heroes that made the finals of the calling at San Jose, Reinar and Bravo. What are your thoughts on those two heroes? I don't know who to start with. <laughs> Take it away, Fino. I don't know. I hate Reinar. Deck's terrible to play against. Um, I, it's such a thing where it's like, it, I don't know what to think about it without seeing context of the games that Reinar played, because it, it can be such a variance-based deck based on how people play it, where it's like, 
I don't know, was the guy just trying to high roll through all his matchups and got and ran hot the entire weekend? Or did he like, was he doing something that other people weren't that, it, or was, was he just getting favorable matchups? I don't know. I, <sighs> so if you look at the deck list, he was not, he, he had very, I don't think he had a single card that had a random discard in it. Um, I think he was just going for like, he, he took like a Michael Hamilton approach to Reinar, which is like just play very efficient regular attacks. Like there's just the cards that like the two for six or two for seven that just intimidates normally, no no discard. And then combine that with like pummel or defense reactions, block a lot, wait for your tunic counter to come up, play your two cost thing, pummel it. Um, and then just and or have like an efficient turn go into go and swing club. So like that's kind of the angle he was going at from that list. That's a great question. And the same issue that I had with the deck. Like when I tried it for like a handful of games on Talos Sharks, I was like, I, I think this is like has potential. Like uh, two for eight. Sweet. I'm in. Awesome. Great. Swing big. And um, I also had a little bit of the issue where I guess like a deck's like Arachne or Dash when Dash is hyper-focused on being a control deck where you don't actually have any like real disruption most of the time. Like guardians are able to like threaten those big crush effects that opponents just can't have go again or they can't gain power and they're very disruptive when they're like trying to play these defensive games but if you're not presenting on hits like that and you're just like presenting damage if your opponent's at like 40 life and you just swing a two for eight at them they're like okay i'm at 32 vomit their hand anyways and you block for nine but they still come back for like 15 damage you take three on a turn cycle and you just repeat that over and over again so they're just gonna win that game and that's kind of the issue i was running into with reinar the the way that people are playing the decks right now it's like everything is just numbers on cards decks like how can i get 14 around and it's like is reinar the best at doing that probably not he can sometimes but like not necessarily better than other decks um and if he's not the best at doing that, then what equity is he getting that other decks don't? Is there a certain matchup that he's trying to find? Like, I don't see what any of these things would be for him. It just seems like a worse Guardian deck if you're going to play it that way. And if you're playing it the other way, then it's like, are you just trying to high roll people? Because that's the thing that he can do that other decks can't. You can just ook your way into victory by rolling dice or discarding cards. And Quite that, that in his case. Like, but yeah. <laughs> uh, the opposite end of the spectrum, though, is like Michael saying, though, with Bravo, where he does have those like disruptive effects where he's like threatening like the pummels like Reinar, but he also has the crush effects like crippling crush, spinal crush, forcing his opponent to like actually contend with the attacks and threats that he's presenting instead of just presenting raw damage. I would say where Bravo kind of falls a little short, at least traditionally, has just been like he's just not as good as doing those disruptive things as Oldheim. But now that Oldheim's lost Oakenold, I don't know, or he can't as reliably play Oakenold as he could without uh, Pulse. I don't know if that's necessarily true anymore. And the difference between the two decks keeps getting smaller and smaller as the meta develops, I feel like, to the point where I still think Oldheim's the better Guardian, but I don't know by how much. And I think if there was a really well-tuned uh, Bravo list that was really utilizing um, his disruptive abilities, as well as like the cards he's happier to play in combination with Anathos, like Zell's Belting or Rousey Ancients, to give him that kind of also like faster dynamic game plan, whereas old time is usually just more pivoting towards like an ice plan to be more controlling. Uh, I could see like that kind of being the reason to pivot towards Bravo if you're looking to be that actually like proactive uh, guardian as opposed to old time because. While Bravo's hero ability, Michael hates, is just two resources for dominate. That's still doing something as on offense, whereas Bravo or sorry, Oldheim literally has nothing to bring to the table for like an offensive capability. So something to think about. Yeah, I think he's good in the same way that uh, Lexi is good, where you're you're able to pro- in a enact this proactive control plan. Um, so like, if Lexi's good, maybe Bravo's also good, and vice versa. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. On hits, good. But what do you think, Michael? Now that we presented our cases, tell us, tell us <laughs> your final approval Yugi Moto World Champion thoughts. <laughs> I, please tell me why Reinar's good. So I really liked. I'm gonna start with Bravo because Bravo's fresh in the mind. I really liked what you said about Bravo, Roger. How he's like getting closer to old hive. Old hive's running less to the table without pulse, and and I do agree that when. Lexi is good. That's kind of the same metagame that Bravo would shine in, where it's just throwing these big attacks with on hits and you need to block them. And if the decks don't want to block, then it's a good time to bring Bravo. Bravo's like best against decks that want to block a ton and decks that want to block not at all. And he's kind of bad against decks that are in the middle where they're happy to block with one or two cards a lot of the time. So when the format is everyone's trying to play five card hands, you can play your big disruptive stuff. And when everyone trying to block with three cards, then dominate actually matters because then they can't block with their three cards. So I think that's, yeah, I guess that's kind of where Bravo is. And I think Bravo's a solid choice. Yeah. I think like he's still a little bit, I think he's still a little bit weak. Like I would expect like if you're debating between Lexi and Bravo, I think Lexi's, for the most part, better, though that specific matchup is pretty bad for Lexi, but most of the matchups, I think Lexi will... Yeah, I was about to say. I guess Lexi's better against the decks that don't want to block at all, and worse against the decks that want to block a lot. Like, Lexi can't really beat the decks that want to block a lot, but she beats the decks that don't want to block a lot better than Bravo does. If we look at a deck that, uh, from the perspective of matchups where you're being forced to block, I guess, with like a lot of disruptive on hits, Lexi does not want to block at all. She just wants her five card hands all the time and does not block effect like effectively like super well bravo could still block all day he just has a million three blocks he has all the good beefy guardian equipment and he can still just swing dumb old anathos for like four or six every turn pretty happily so i guess like from that perspective that's why i kind of think bravo's a little bit better than lexi but i'm also biased because i i hate lexi so uh spoilers but that's just that's just my personal bias showing there a little bit but to wrap things up, Michael, tell us how to play Reinar. So, tell us the secrets to Reinar. Moving on to Reinar. I honestly don't know how is best to play Reinar or build Reinar, but like he's been putting up a lot of results for a deck that people consider like, in my opinion, like I've always seen Reinar as like not that good and not really like competitively viable, but he did pretty well in national season. He won the calling at San Jose and he just got some new cards in the new set. So there's something happening and i think it's like it's it's something to keep an eye on because reiner's like been doing really well for a hero that nobody's like i don't want to say nobody but really well for a hero that's not very popular or very like i don't know figured out maybe is the right word yeah i would say just very similar reasons that dromai is not been performing as well i think phi is the deck that's keeping reinar really like far down um because phi just is able to obviously just outrace any deck with just straight damage reinar doesn't have disruptive that he can bring to the table so he's either trying to block a lot and phi is just able to go really wide to basically mitigate those like cards that reinar wants to block with and also force reinar to block like ineffectively because he doesn't really want to block those one or two powered pings that that Fi is bringing to the table and his damage output just isn't fast enough to compete with Fi's damage output it's just it's like but i mean like that's not an insult that's just the fact that Fi is just the best at racing uh so I would say if I wasn't in the metagame, I think I would be happy to like put Reinar in tier one, but just because of like how prevalent Phi is and how good it is at just like racing these straight like damage value effects, I think that's like the biggest thing that's keeping Reinar down in my opinion. Yeah, I feel like weirdly Phi is doing a very similar thing to the metagame of like warping the what people are playing around it in the same way that Prism kind of did, of, like, Prism really affected what you were allowed to play in, in the format she was legal in, and Fi's kind of doing that now, where, like, you can't get away with playing certain things because you'll just lose to Fi. Yeah. It's doing it in a very different way, but 
it's kind of like on opposite ends of the spectrum. You have Fi as the gatekeeper on the aggro, and then I feel like you have Icelander as like the gatekeeper of like <laughs> just like these going long or just like uh, disruptive decks. And it's just like those two decks being so polarized in those two opposite ends and still just being like very obvious tier one decks with like old time being somewhere in the middle of those two kind of just forces all the decks that aren't being as efficient or as disruptive as those three decks kind of just like a little bit below them. Like I think they're still all doing very powerful things. It's just not as powerful as these three decks are as at the moment we could be wrong and maybe there are decks out there that are capable of like outracing fi or being more disruptive than icelander but they kind of have to prove themselves first well it's like how are you going to outrace fi without losing to Icelander? right yeah that's the it's like thing. you're it it he, he's one of the few decks that can be a efficient racing deck that doesn't just lose to ice mm. yeah that definitely makes a lot of sense Okay, well, we're coming up on time for the cast. Do you have any closing thoughts here, Michael Hamilton? Uh, tell us all about what, what you uh, ProQuest. Tell us all about it. What what you how you feel about ProQuest? Okay. Just tell us about it. So I'm ready to get back into playing competitive Flesh and Blood. I feel like the downtime has been. It's felt like a long time since Worlds, the last tournament, and then people who didn't get to go to worlds or any events around that time i've been waiting for reasonably longer for competitive events so i'm very excited to get back into it for ProQuest to start back up and honestly especially excited for the calling after ProQuest season but yeah it's been a long time since you've won something <laughs> so i'm sure you're looking forward to winning things again uh <laughs> fino what are your closing thoughts yeah, why, why don't we have a trophy rack in the background? It's Maybe above him. He keeps all of more. his trophies, the checks above oh. him. It's all right above him. And he just leans back and he's like, oh, look at how good I am. <laughs> 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 and you think I'm joking? I'm not joking. <laughs> I, need, I, need a pic- I need a picture of this after. <laughs> Make that the thumbnail. <laughs> I'll have to sneak one next time. Oh, over send one. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Pina. What was the question? It was just closing thoughts. Anything you want to say before we start? We we, we wrap things up. Uh, I guess I'll jump off of uh, your thought of uh, the the break. I I really needed that break after all that fab. Oh my god, that was just such a tight amount of so much fab in a condensed amount of time um but i i'm happy to get back into playing the game uh less than i was before because again no no deck that i'm really is speaking to me but i'm I'm happy to get back on the grind a little bit um what'd you guys do on your break i hung out with my son and my other son michael a bunch and that's basically it. Like I, I just, I didn't do much of anything. Just hung around and just had a lot of good family time. I, I wouldn't say that's exactly true. You've done a lot of work, like behind the scenes on the podcast, setting up the Patreon and getting a lot of like our business stuff going in this downtime, right? Yeah, I guess what managing Patreon the podcast. www.patreon.com/slash/mannercast. <laughs> uh, oh, fantastic! And how? What? What? What kind of tiers can I uh, start subscribing at? Well, for the low, low price of $5 a month, you get access to Manor University, where Michael and I break down <laughs> games sent in by our viewers or from the latest and greatest professional events where we go play-by-play discussing exactly what pros and cons each play has that players are making and really do a deep dive in helping people learn how to get better at Flesh and Blood. For $20 a month, you get, oh, you get access to uh, exclusive live streams that Michael and I do where we battle top tier decks against each other one-on-one and take questions from our viewers at the same time. If you're not able to make those, though, we do post the VODs on our Patreon afterwards. And then finally, for $70 a month, you get access to the world champion, Michael Hamilton, uh, in a one-hour coasting session every month where he will help you win the world <laughs> next world championship. If you do not win your next world championship, he will actually refund <laughs> no, all no, of your no, coaching money. That's not true. Easy peasy. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll send that right now. <laughs> So are we going to get a Reinar versus Bravo in the next uh, 
whatever the, the, the middle one was? Probably. <laughs> I think we bad. I've definitely played Reinar and Bravo. I, Michael's played like Brainstorm Kano. Um, we, we try some off meta stuff too, but we've definitely played a lot of old time and Icelander and stuff like that too. And Fives and so. Oh, and then I guess we just throw uh, credits at the end of all of our podcasts of all of our patrons' names. So as a thank you. Sounds like an amazing Patreon. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Meanwhile, I was I way more so. boring and just played Genshin Impact for the past month. <laughs> Oof. Those gotchas can be addicting, so. <laughs> okay. so much well, content to catch up on. For sure. And so we don't want to make any more content. So with that being said, next time you're playing in your ProQuest, always remember, mind your manners. We'll see you next time.